Welcome to the Agile Confessional, a podcast that shares fun confessions from people who've spent a large part of their career working in the Agile world. Hear the mistakes they've made along the way so you can avoid falling into the same traps in the future. I'm your host, Giles Lindsay, CEO of Agile Delta Consulting. I'm the coach who absolves my guests of the sins made in the Agile world. It's time to listen in on the latest instalment. Welcome to episode 13 of the Agile Confessional. Today's guest is Jordan Husney. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Giles. Thanks for having me here today. Jordan is CEO of Parabol, the leading free retrospective and agile meeting platform. He was formerly a strategy director at Undercurrent, an organizational transformation firm in New York, and led transformations at GE, American Express, and PepsiCo. Prior to this, he was a product manager and engineer developing connected hardware. He cares most about enabling people to feel a sense of meaning from their work. His biggest agile influence is Bob Gower, formerly of Rally Software. Jordan, shall we begin? Yes, please, coach. Forgive me, coach, for I have sinned. And what agile sin would you like to confess? It's a sin of hubris. You see, when I was an agile coach, I would think often for the best for all of my clients. And I think now that I'm not a coach, it's the failures that have stuck with me the most. The one failure that I can think of was caused really by my arrogance in acting with the client. I had an executive stakeholder, the person who had signed the contract, who controlled the purse strings. And I felt as though they were the linchpin, the place where all the lines crossed that was holding their organization back from being able to make the transformation. And I pulled a move that I think was sinful in really rubbing what I perceived as his bad behavior in his face. And as a result, I got fired and the organization was therefore unable to make the change. The backstory behind this is, and I'll give you the detail of the sin committed. It was standard for us to do stakeholder interviews when we would start doing a transformation. And the story of this organization, they're a multi-billion dollar firm in the Southern United States. They had tried to transform on their own and they, they got rather far. They hired just an excellent, excellent bench of scrum masters, truly some of the best I had ever worked with. And they had reformed their IT and engineering organizations into small autonomous teams and had started to work. But they had found that there were pieces of the business that they were interacting with and indeed pieces with management that were really preventing them from going all the way and moving over into an agile way of working. And they were kind of stilted into this waterfall plus scrum mode that is so common in large organizations. They had come together as a bunch of scrum masters and said, hey, there's this amazing firm that can help us with our transformation and we're going to see XYZ and business results and just please sign here in the contract. So we start off for a couple of weeks, just getting to know the business, getting to know the personalities, the responsibilities, what the teams were, what their existing charters were. And we were talking with these different team leads. I remember speaking with this one woman who... There's no other word to use other than she was just despondent 
And in the middle of our stakeholder questions, just sort of standard fare stuff, kind of like the two bobs from office space, you know, what exactly do you do here stuff? She starts crying. And tears are not something that I would say are uncommon in this line of work, as I'm sure a lot of folks listening to the podcast would identify with. But these were different tears. These were not tears of frustration. These were tears of intense sadness and fear. And I got the sense that she had just really felt very resigned about an awful lot. Through her tears, she was telling me that she was fantasizing about steering her car into oncoming traffic in the morning because of the way that she was being treated by an executive, the sponsor. And we started to collect anecdotes that all sort of crossed back toward this sponsor. And what, what we learned was that unconscious to this executive sponsor, that they were creating this culture of fear within their organization. And it manifested itself in these ways that were really deep and sad, but also quite trivial and sort of the meat and potatoes of agile transformation work, where when they were doing their stand-ups, kind of their scrum of scrums practice at the top, the folks who were reporting out for each teams were just sort of lying because they were so afraid of the safety and the emotional content of this one executive stakeholder. So we saw this as plain as day, and we had communicated this in a fairly dry way to the stakeholder. And then we had put it in like, here are our top three findings of your organization, and we'd like to put some plans in place to remedy each of these following items. One was how budgeting is done, two, the emotional environment, and three, some of the things around how practices are being conducted within the company. The response was edited out so that the emotional one was deleted. And it was like, nope, not going to do that. And it made me really upset. And now here's where the hubris comes in. I was just righteous in my anger that this individual could be so insensitive to what his own reports indeed were saying about how his conduct and sort of the, the emotional environment was affecting their ability to do business that I decided to invent an exercise. And the exercise was my colleague and I, we pulled verbatim quotes from the stakeholder interviews that we had done. And we made a little pack of cards and we sat down with the stakeholder and basically the guys for the meeting was, hey, let's prioritize what we're going to do first in this transformation. And we put some stuff that was really dry, you know, the budgeting stuff. And here's how we're going to do our scrum of scrums meeting, et cetera. And we kind of put that in the stack of cards and we handed it to the stakeholder. And we said, would you please sort this into two piles? the things that you would like to talk about, and we'll prioritize those, and the things that you just see as out of scope. And he completed the exercise and slid the dry pile to me, the budgeting scrum of scrums deck. And then I said, okay, great. Actually, what I'd like to do is talk about the other ones. <laughs> and he was a very cold individual emotionally. There wasn't a lot of humor in a person's eyes. He looked at me very dryly and he said, I am not here to be psychoanalyzed. And I remember the quote and I looked at him in his eyes and I was perhaps a little bit more confrontational than I needed to be, but I didn't raise my tone. I said, look, I think that you may not understand what Agile is about, but it extends far beyond the practice of what and how is reported and how the dollars are done. It is fundamentally about teamwork. And I don't see this as psychoanalysts. I see this as facing your problems head on. If you're not ready to do that work, that's another conversation. And long story short, the next day I was fired. <laughs> the work ended there. And I felt like I had acted in hubris by bringing the work to a head that quickly without 
establishing trust with all the parties. And it's something that I think about quite often. What did you learn from this? You can't do the work if you're not in the office, metaphorically speaking. And what I learned is that it's not enough to have a chorus of people within an organization want to pull on the outside world and ask for help with the change that they're going through without really having the sponsorship and buy-in of the top. And of course, in our line of work, we talk about that quite a lot. But I think that what I learned was that I had work yet to do and still have work yet to do in how to earn the trust of people that not only, you know, there's the agile mindset in terms of just understanding the principles of agile, but then there's the whole emotional complex that has to happen at the same time. And that's a place in me that I think that needs further development, basically how to help those folks along on their journey, if possible. And I think it starts for me in really working on that place within myself to try and really lean in to the work of seeing the world through others' eyes. Uh, To this day, I still don't necessarily understand that person's perspective. And without really being able to stand in their shoes and think about what pressures were going on in that person's life and really sort of living their truth, it cut the path off for me as someone that does transformation work from being able to tell a story that was credible to them that would act as a keyhole to their own organization's transformation. That's what I learned. Brilliant. Lastly, what advice would you give to others? Well, I guess there's two pieces to this, and it all depends on your own personal why, like why go down the agile pathway at all. For me, I enjoyed the transformation work because I very much enjoyed enabling people to rediscover the pleasure of their own vocation. And so often tragedy that I see in the world is that people go to school and they have dreams as children and then they show up to the office or begin doing their work and there's this whole pile of things that need to get done in the drudgery of work that divorce them from their own passions. And for me as an agile transformation person, the work I enjoy doing, the way that I get meaning from the work is enabling that transformation in others. And The advice that I would have is to look at the emotional side of the work and really address that at the same time that you're learning about the best ways to conduct a retrospective or manage a backlog or the art of product management or whatever your practice is. And this served me later in life, but surround yourself as one doing with transformation work with people that can help you transform and grow your own capacity in that way. Fantastic. Jordan, thank you very much indeed. So, Jordan, are you ready for your absolution and penance? Oh, boy. Yes, please, coach. Well, Jordan, you're going to be very happy to hear that I absolve you of your agile sin and that your penance is that when you were a consultant, your responsibility was to coach the agile practice of others, and you acted with hubris. So your penance is an act of humility to look at your own agile practice as CEO of Parabol and share with the world how that practice is currently coming up short. Oh, that feels like a weight off my shoulders. Thank you, thank you. Well, what comes to mind is in our own practice, 
We don't do Agile perfectly. We certainly don't practice everything that I used to preach. We are indeed still acting with hubris. The one thing that really sticks out to me right now is we are just about to launch this backlog estimation tool into the market so that if folks do things like planning poker, you can come into this collaborative space and do it. And I think the thing that I should talk about is we don't drink our own champagne here. We actually don't use the tool at all because we don't do backlog estimation or pointing at our company. And I really think that it would serve our community if I were to be very, very clear about that hubris and that hypocrisy. And perhaps I can lean on some of the experts in the world to help us develop that practice ourselves. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you, Jordan, for being an absolutely awesome sport and for being here today. Thank you, Giles, for having me. It was great. 